Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to the Domesticated Dude podcast. I'm Logan, your host on this journey. Today, I'm talking with my friend Steve. I met Steve back in 2014 when he offered me a job at his marketing agency as a salesperson. We worked together for four good years, and we've been good friends ever since. Steve comes from a long line of entrepreneurs, so I'm going to pick his brain about what that's like, how that shaped his career path. We're also going to talk about how leading with value can help you build trust and relationships. We're also going to talk about the skill of gaining perspective and how that perspective can help you both in your personal life and in your professional career. Thanks again for tuning in. If you like what you hear, share us with a friend. Follow us on Spotify, leave us a review on Apple, you know the drill. Without further ado, here's the conversation with my friend Steve. Hope you enjoy. Some tequila, some kind of sparkling water, uh, uh, Tapo Chico or something like that, and then um, lime juice. And then we had Marg's yesterday for you know Cinco de Mayo, uh-huh. and Heather found this recipe and it's called something water, like country water or something like that. So try it, and it's pretty refreshing. It's what pretty is, good. is it like flavored water, or is it just what kind of water is it? Um, I, I showed you the brand it would, it would ring a bell i know it's really popular i think it's based out of texas and it's really popular down there uh, so i'll see it all the time down there and i've seen it in the stores here but it's just sparkling water if you will gotcha give them a little bit of that that fizz okay okay but it's definitely a lot more refreshing and not nearly as like sweet so i love margaritas but generally i can have like two and it just gives me a gut ache because it could be so sweet like with this you cut out a lot of that sweetness and stuff and it's my first one but so far, it's been pretty good. Oh, nice. Did you uh, cut up some limes and throw some limes in there for some uh, extra flavor? We did yesterday. We even chopped up some uh, jalapenos and everything. Oh, man. Smushed that along with some strawberries for one of them. was a strawberry jalapeno margarita. So we went all out. We did hear some horror stories of people going to like La, La Matalan. Um, one of them, one of Heather's coworkers, placed the order at quarter to five. And like, hey, I'll be there at like 6.30 quarter. No, they told her. Come here at six thirty, quarter to seven, and I'll be ready. They didn't get their food until eight o'clock. Oh. They said it was like a huge, almost like tailgating party out in the parking lot. Like some people were like waiting for it and stuff. I'm like, oh man, that sounds like a mess. What? Wow. I'm a terrible person because I can't remember what we did for dinner last night. <laughs> Holy did you even shit. remember it was Cinco de Mayo? We. I don't even think I had alcohol. What's wrong with me, Steve? <laughs> You're an old man. Damn. You're getting domesticated and old. It sounds like you're getting pretty domesticated, though. That sounded like a pretty good lineup that you had last night. <laughs> it was decent. It was decent. Is that something that you've noticed that, like, your tastes have changed as you've gotten older? Like, when we were younger, we were probably like, oh, yeah, sure. Just give me the cheapest tequila, and I'm good. Give me a, a, some salt on my hand, and I'm ready to go. But now, as you're getting older, your taste has kind of evolved, yeah. right? Yeah, taste is involved, like, just my body. So, like vodka perfect example and you know this and we've talked about this before that unless i have vodka that's been what what's the term is refined filter distilled, yeah, distilled. Times. filter thank you thank you um like at least six times is it just gives me horrible headaches sometimes within an hour 
And like, it tastes the same. It tastes fine. I'm like, it's a terrible headache. Same thing, like, if I'm drinking too much, uh, like, whiskey and Coke. Like, whiskey and Coke. So, generally, I always do diet. But whiskey and Coke gives me terrible hangovers. And I notice if I drink too much whiskey and diet, then I start to get a gut ache. <laughs> like, getting old. <laughs> Just, like, same thing, like, me and Heather. We went, uh, I don't know, a couple weekends ago. We surprised my mom and went tailgating in, you know, their driveway. And uh, so, we got some cider beers. Cider beers and then Snozberry was on sale at Super Saver. I'm like, dude, I love Snozberry. This one's great. So I had two cider beers and a Snozberry and just horrible, horrible gut ache. I'm like, man, I just can't do any of this shit anymore. I've noticed that if I drink any beer that is not Bushlight or Michelob Ultra, if I drink <laughs> more than two of those, I'm in a bad spot. And that really pisses it's, me off. <laughs> it's so crazy. It is so crazy. Right now, I'm drinking whiskey straight with some ice cubes and some cinnamon thrown in there. I found that if I can sip on some whiskey, have the ice cubes melt, it gives it a nice little, like, it takes the edge off the whiskey, Mm -hmm. and then it's just good for just sipping, and it's delicious. Completely agree. Random fact about cinnamon, it helps balance your blood sugar levels. Hey, extra bonus. It's probably a good thing that I put cinnamon on literally everything I eat. Do you really? Well, yeah. Okay, let's think about it. So in the morning, I make coffee. I throw cinnamon in it. I have a banana with nut butter. I put cinnamon on it. I guess maybe for lunch, I don't really have anything cinnamon related. But in the evenings, we'll likely pop popcorn. And then I sprinkle cinnamon all over that stuff. So I'm getting getting my my daily doses of cinnamon. Maybe I can overdose on cinnamon. I don't know. But uh, hey, man, I'll I'll take that. Any any good, healthy thing, I I will take it. So there's this guy named Brian Johnson. He's a health coach down in Austin. Um, the dude is phenomenal. And so, like, I'm pretty open-minded. And so there's woo-woo stuff. I mean, most woo-woo stuff I'm open-minded to. And sometimes it's like, all right, whatever. But, like, you know, it's it's your story. It's your thing. That's, like, that's fine. Some of the stuff that Brian comes up with is real, like, woo-woo. But anyway, uh, I hired him for a health coach for a month. Um, it been, like, last August-ish. I'm just trying to figure shit out because it seems like every two to three years of my what was working before no longer works. My metabolism changes. Like if I do workouts, it's just the long same effect. And so I hired him and I've known him for quite a few years. He's friends with my brother. And so that was one of the things that gave me check all the time was blood sugar level. And so I got, you know, basically like a diabetes kid, if you will. Um, so I'm always checking or I was always checking my insulin and he actually had me order some cinnamon pills. And most mornings I would take a cinnamon pill and it dropped my blood sugar by 10 to 15 points if you will. Like it, it was impressive. So you talked about if we, you know, if I'm drinking coffee, real cinnamon, I mean, that's the thing too, is that, you know, you can get cinnamon flavored stuff, which obviously is not the same as pure cinnamon. Um, he's like, you know, put in your coffee, you can sprinkle it over something during lunch. And so like these pills is like just two pills of cinnamon or something I've taken on a daily basis and made a hell of a difference. Hey, look at that. Accidental healthy eating. That's <laughs> exactly. cool. That's cool. I didn't realize that it had that big of an effect. It's delicious. It just spices it up a little bit. It's that ele- that slight level of elevation. Like. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> Marcus, my friend, you know, Marcus, you know, from England, is that we were at a bar once. I don't remember what we ordered. This was like five, six years ago. Ordered something. The bartender was like, oh, do you want cinnamon in that drink? And Marcus goes off. I don't know what it is about you fucking Americans. You fucking put cinnamon on every single thing in America. Like what? Like you guys are too poor over in England to afford that stuff? He's like, no, you Americans just fucking fall over that stupid shit. 
<laughs> you don't bark as well, though. You just get angry. <laughs> it was pretty good. That's really funny. There is there is a difference, though. You can definitely tell between fake cinnamon and real cinnamon. I don't know if it mm-hmm. is the real cinnamon that we get, but I found that the Trader Joe's cinnamon is, is like on another level than mm-hmm. Walmart cinnamon. I guess it's probably a no-brainer, <laughs> but... Yeah. Just... Once that once those words came out of your mouth, you're like, oh yeah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is, if you want to try some cinnamon, go to Trader Joe's. Don't go to Walmart. Good call. Good call. So Steve, I just want to thank you again for hopping on, man. I know you have a, a really interesting story that people will find a lot of value in. Let's start at the beginning, though. Um, you come from a large family of entrepreneurs, and that's that's what you knew growing up. And there was a you've told me before there was a point in time that you kind of realized that maybe not everybody wanted to own their own business, and that kind of that kind of stuck out to me. And you, you thought that that was kind of strange. Let's let's start this one off by um, going a little bit deeper into that. How how did you? come to that conclusion, what was it like growing up with a family of entrepreneurs? Uh, you take a look at my family. You got you know mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, aunt, uncle. So there's like 10 in total. And pretty much everybody except for two were entrepreneurs. That I had an aunt that was a stay-at-home mom, and my mom worked for the government, which is the complete opposite overall. Some really good security, <laughs> that's for damn sure, the complete opposite. So growing up, like we'd go to my grandpa, my grandpa and dad had a construction company together. You know, when they very first started, they were literally just knocking on doors and they're like going up to people like, Hey, your roof looks like crap. Basically we will replace your roof for you. And they got into siding and then they got into custom home building. Uh, but growing up on weekends is that we always be like in my dad's shop or my grandpa's shop um, or, you know, to my uncles, they all had shops basically as well. And that's where we're always kind of hanging around at. So we'd always be talking about business. Like even like in grade school, we'd be talking about business. And didn't know what that business was, obviously, at that point in time. Um, but it took a marketing class, fell in love with marketing, but like in eighth grade. And I remember being 16, so sophomore year, towards the end of sophomore year, talking with Haley Anderson in one of my business classes. And uh, we're just kind of BSing, like, hey, what do you want to do? When you graduate high school, go to college, all that type of stuff. And she was like, hey, you know, I want to go to the university and get a degree in whatever it was. But she's like, I just want to be, you know, an admin assistant for somebody like in a Fortune 500 company. And that was the first moment when I was 16 that I realized not everybody wanted to own their own business. Just assumed that everybody did. It was even one of those things, like looking back on it, my aunt that uh, lives up here in, in Lincoln and started her own thing years and years and years ago. Is I made the comment about, oh, hey, I think it'd be cool to be the president of the United States. And she's like, oh, no, I don't want to be the president. And that was the first time also, I'm like, what do you mean you don't want to be a boss? Like, like the ultimate <laughs> boss. Now I get it. Now I completely agree. Like, I've never wanted to be the president of the United States. Um, but that was always the mindset. And it's almost like it was embedded in us to a certain extent, like a, a gene, if you will. Because even to this day, my younger brother, his last real job when he was – I think a freshman in college, he worked at Domino's and he quit that after like three months to start his own thing. His best friend was actually uh, the governor's, the governor of Nebraska at the time was his son. And they were operating a uh, more or less legal business out of the governor's house here in Lincoln, here in Nebraska, uh, to the extent that the state patrol had to come up to them. Like, yeah, you can't be doing this in here. 
they had to shut that down. Shit. You know, my older brothers had a couple different in, uh, endeavors, but it's you know it's always been one of those things. It was it was a part of us and kind of kind of knew no different, if you will. What were some of those things that stuck out about being an entrepreneur that that stuck out to you that you really wanted to hold on to? Some of those things you always have. Well, I was gonna say you have fantasies about to a certain extent, so you get into it. But even with that being said, like I'd see my dad working nonstop, you know, nights and weekends and all that. Same thing with like aunts and uncles. So I never really lived in that fantasy world. Like one of the big things that people say is like, oh my God, it's so nice being your own boss. Like you can set your own schedule and do whatever you want. And it's like on a weekly basis, we have 40 or 50 clients we have to be in contact with, be responsible to, if you will. One of my favorite quotes in entrepreneurship is the best thing about being your own boss is you only have to work half days. And it's completely up to you on what 12-hour shift you want to work that day. Like, that's so true. It is so true. Um, but again, like, it wasn't one of those things that was necessarily like a huge thought process. Should I do this or not do this? You know, where do I want to go? Like, all those things. It was literally just like, that's what you do. You know, you go to school. Then you go to college. You graduate college and you go out on your own. Like, it was literally one of those things that... That's just what's expected. So that's what you do. I remember when I graduated college that I had, you know, family and friends were like, oh, congratulations and yada, yada, yada. I'm like, no, like, that's what you do. So when I started my own business, it was the, it was the same thing. You know, we've talked about it before, but when I started off, like, the most money I made in college was 12 grand. So if I made more than 12,000 the next year, I made more money than I've ever made in my entire life. And that next year, I made 16,000. When I say made, that's gross revenue. I had no idea what the hell the difference was between gross revenue and profits or margins or any of that shit. I'm just like, hey, I brought in 16000 I think technically, I'm trying to think, I think we lost 4000 that year. And so my expenses were twenty k. <laughs> but I, I don't know. You know hey, I brought in 16000 my own. So that's kind of where the, where the adventure started, if you will. Was it one of those things where you literally graduated, got your degree, and then turned around and started your business? Or did you have to kind of work your way up to that my thought process was to work my way up to that so there was a big firm here in lincoln um and then they just sold out three four years ago to another firm in lincoln and the big firm is called Stanley car and it represented it it represented a huge chunk of business really throughout nebraska and um, my dad was business partners with snitley in snitley's car with snitley's dad <laughs> and this will actually tell you the relationship with me and my dad um i graduated college we're having beers like three months after I graduated college. And he's like, hey, like, what's your degree in? I'm like, oh, it's in marketing. He's like, oh, well, have you ever heard of Snitley Carr? I'm like, yeah, like that's the biggest market <laughs> firm in Nebraska or one of the bigger ones. And he's like, oh, well, I probably could have gotten you an internship because I know Snitley really well. <laughs> like, way to pay attention, Dad. I've been wanting to be in marketing since the eighth grade. So way to pay attention. <laughs> See, my goal was originally to go work for a firm like that. Um, but then when I graduated with a degree in marketing, is the majority of times they just try to pigeonhole me like in a sales role. And I enjoy sales. I really do here at this point. But back then I'm like, ah, that's a dirty word. Like I don't know who sells. I can't talk to people like that. Like that's terrible. So in my mind, it was a very cubicle based. Well, I graduated from the university and it would have been in what December of 03. And then in January of 04 is when I started the company. And so we did a lot of video production and stuff like that. Um, I was doing video production prior to it. And some friends were like, hey, you should do it. You should do it. And my mindset is like, all right, well, the job offers I have, which we had a couple of decent ones, um, but the job offers I have were like very just cubicle based. And like, I don't want to be working in a cubicle. And so I'm like, well, screw it. So let me just give it a shot see where it goes, see what happens. Um, I had a good conversation actually with the guy today. 
Um, and I've learned so much just through trial and error, like even to this day, that's how I learned a ton. It's just through mistakes and stuff. But I was talking to them today. I'm like, yeah, if I had a clear mind, if you will, and like knew where I wanted to go, we would have set up a bunch of like processes and, you know, the whole vision around it and all that early on. But for me, it was just kind of <laughs> learning as I went, figuring shit out. And I would say over the last seven, eight years, it's been a bit of a, a different story, a lot more streamlined. But for a while, it was, we'll see what happens. Was it something where as soon as you started to get employees and your business started to grow, that's where the process needed to get more defined? Yeah. So we learned that it's probably when we started getting full-time employees. We brought on about three full-time employees and you know, right, right around the short or the same amount of time. Um, and that's when we realized we had to become a bit more process. Uh, even with that being said, I'm not process driven. Like I believe in processes. I believe in systems. I know they can work out really, really, really well. But for me to set them up, it's just painful. And uh, we've realized kind of over the years is if we have that structure in place, it just helps everything run so much smoother. The interesting thing is with the pandemic that's hit, so we've been working remotely. Like that's really showed the holes in the processes and the systems, but it's also showed like the importance of sticking to it. And so I think like because we've had to go through this whole situation, that we're that much better off because of it. And just makes our processes and systems that much stronger and makes us all really stick to it just that much more. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We're we're kind of fight figuring that stuff out too with communication plus project planning, project management sort of stuff. Uh, it's it's a lot different when you when you can't see each other and we can't pop into somebody's office and talk for five minutes just real quick or thirty minutes or whatever. You have to be very concise. Right. You can't beat around the bush. You have to be very direct. And I feel like that that's kind of tough to be that direct with somebody when you really just want to talk something out. We can we can see that on our side too. Definitely. I mean, I have some, I've had some pretty interesting conversations around it because there's a lot of jobs you can. Uh, like individual jobs you can do remotely. But when it comes to teamwork and collaboration and brainstorming and all that, then I'm not saying you can't do it over Zoom, but there's something to be said in physical space and proximity. I did a presentation here a couple months ago, um, and it talked about really like there's a few different points of marketing, but one of the biggest things is simply proximity. You know, it's why, why, why actually, why are we friends? We were in close proximity together. And if you take a look at the reason why your friends, you have clients, all this stuff, that a lot of times people will ask the question, you know, why are we friends? And they'll think through, it's like, well, because we share the same, you know, political beliefs or the same religion or the same, you know, this and that. Most of that stuff you throw out the window. And it's all about proximity. Is it we're close? We have that relationship type of thing. Why do we, why do we get certain projects? Because we literally are in close connection physically with these people. And now through this is you're not really as close. Um, yes, Zoom helps, Skype helps, that type of stuff. Um, so again, it can be done. It's a little bit different. But I think at times people tend to discount the proximity factor, if you will, and just how much of an influence that has over everything that you really do. Yeah, absolutely. I was just kind of going back, thinking about what you were just saying about who are your friends? Well, they're the people that you're in close proximity to. You have those shared experiences together especially in, in your line of work, when you have clients and you, you go through things together, good and bad, that stuff just brings you that much closer. Like even, even if you're working with a difficult client, once you get past that hump, once you get over the, the ridge, if you will, you guys are closer together now that you've, you've gone through that. You've had that shared experience together and you've worked through the entire process together. Just those shared experiences, just like making friends. It's 
you know, you, you make your friends in college because you probably like to go out drinking. Well, your roommate likes to go out drinking. So you're going to go out drinking together. Well, now you guys are best yep. buds and now you're still friends to this day type of thing. It's the same concept there. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the reason why we've had so much success in Western Nebraska. They appreciate the fact that we show up physically with them. You know, they've had some other vendors and some of the other vendors they've had, it's a big cycle, a lot of turnover, if you will, because they'll either try to zoom in or, you know, email their way through it or whatever. But there's something to be said about that face to face. Now, I understand you can't always do it. Like we got plenty of clients we've never actually met in real life. Um, So you can absolutely positively do it. But, you know, we're still people. You know, we still want to connect with other people. And a great way to do that is just be in the same space together. Yeah. And being, being honest with them too, that, that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. And one, one thing that Absolutely. I appreciated working with you is that you always wanted us to be ourselves. You didn't expect me to go out and network with 50,000 people in one night because that's not who I am. I'm more of a relationship, good conversation, that type of thing. That's what's important to me, not the number of connections that I make. Being able to have that vision of building a relationship first giving value and then not making a hard sell, just letting either the work speak for itself or the relationship speak for itself. How did you come to that conclusion? Was that something that early on, maybe you saw it in, in your uh, one of your family's businesses or is that something that you just learned through that trial and error period that you went through? Um, it's good. That's a good, good question. So I think it was probably trial and error. Not saying that my family didn't do it, but I can't think like top of mind and like really point blank examples of where that necessarily did pop up. Um, but I think it was one of those things that I learned early on that if I did a, you know, a favor for somebody, if you will, is that they'll do a favor right on back. Might not be right away, but down the road, like today, actually, there was a guy we've been talking to the last couple of months as a prospect and just checked in with him. Like literally just did a wellness check. Then, you know, Hey man, how are things going on? Things have changed. Like it's, Checking in with you, like how can we support you outside of marketing? Like what else can we do? And he made the comments like, hey, you know, I'm trying to find these experts in these two other fields. Um, he's like, if you know anybody, let me know. And again, like he's not a client, so he hasn't paid us anything. I'm like, yeah, actually, I know two people that are super talented in what you're looking for. Like, let me introduce you to both of those. Here's the details. Here's what we do. He replied back shortly thereafter, and he's like, hey, I really appreciate it. I haven't paid you a cent yet because again, he's not a client. Um, but if you always lead with value like this, like that's somebody who I really want to work with. And it always comes back around. And I didn't understand it until I kind of got deep into some of the readings and studies of it. And the people, most people are wired to reciprocate. You know, you do something good for them. They want to do something good back for you eventually. Again, it might not be on day one, but eventually it is. I came across a definition of a brand, and this would have been God, probably four years ago. And a company called Digital Marketer, so it's very much an online type of thing. And uh, he came across it somewhere, the owner of it. And I don't remember where he got it from, but it's basically the definition of a brand is putting more deposits in somebody's equity bucket before you ask for a withdrawal. And to me, that made perfect sense. It's give, 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 give. Because now if I gave enough value, if I ask for something in return at that point, the answer is easy. Yes. Where if I don't give anything at all and just ask for something in return, like it's just, it's not going to work. So I think naturally it was one of those things that like my, my family's overall pretty good at relationships. Um, so I guess probably through osmosis, if you will, I learned some of that, um, but didn't really kind of put two and two together until really probably like four or five years ago 
but probably started leveraging it that much more over the last couple of years. You're at the point now where you want to work with fun people. You want to work with people who trust you. And to be able to build that trust is that give and take relationship and being able to, to act in their best interests without expecting anything back. You know, I think, I think yep. you do that a lot with your speaking engagements and that type of thing. And it's also one of those things, if you have that much trust, says what it comes down to is building a relationship and that much trust is that we've fucked up on things in the past, but people will stick with us because they know who we are and we, they know what we're about. Fuck, even this week, and I won't name names, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, but when you know, shit really hit the fan when it came to the pandemic, is you know, they canceled a bunch of their marketing, put it on hold for the time being. And so I talked to you know my, my team, my guy with media buys, is like, this client is not doing any more media buys whatsoever. Anything we have in the books, we have to pause. Um, and so evidently he forgot to pause one of the media buys. And so a new ad went out, and it was like 1200 bucks. And so it hits. So they got the invoice here yesterday. And it's like going back through the docs is that, yeah, like we talked about it. Um, but you know, was I as clear as I could have been in hindsight? No. Um, and there's also one of those things that like, all right, well, we just got to eat it and we got to do what, we, what what's right. Cause eventually we'll come back around like this client. Um, I don't know, like over the years that we don't make much money off each project and some of the projects that we do, we do almost at cost because it can help them out, but it opens us up to a whole nother area, a whole nother network, if you will. So we don't make much money, but collectively over the last five years, we've had them as a client. We've grossed some really good funds. So again, it all comes around here. A really give a shit about them. Um, and B you're always trying to lead with value because again, it always comes back around eventually. As you're building a business, as you're growing your team, what are some of the things you said you, you learned a lot through the trial and error? As you were kind of learning through that process, are there a couple lessons that stuck out to you? I think it's one of those things, especially on the employee side of it, through trial and error, is that they have to own it. And the only way for them to own it is to fully do it. And not just be spoon-fed it or you know, be order takers, if you will. Is they truly, truly have to own it. And so we've seen it because we've moved you know, over the years from like just production artists, if you will. And that is largely order takers to ones that are a lot more of a senior level and see them to be able to own it. So then we can all kind of, you know, make mistakes and grow and learn and all kinds of stuff like that together. I would say that was probably one of the biggest training turning points was just being able to, you know, give people that much flexibility. And some people love it, you know, and other people don't strive in it whatsoever. They need so much more structure, which is fine. You know, we're not we're not perfect for everybody, if you will. Um, but I'd say that was probably one of the, the bigger things is just making sure what 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 can we do to make sure that person that has that task owns that task and can't come back like, so, well, you know, this didn't work because you know so and so did this and so and so did this and so and so did this. Like no, like it comes comes back to you. And part of it comes down to like just those characteristics in hiring individuals. And so I learned that when we set our first company values well, probably four years ago at this point in time and going through that whole process is like, all right. So I always thought company values and mission statement was a bunch of like corporate bullshit, like just made up. Nobody cares. Nobody really knows. Um, and she's a friend of mine now, but back then she just moved to Lincoln. We have mutual friends. She's like, Hey, we gotta, we gotta meet, we gotta meet. I'm like, all right, finally we'll meet up for coffee, whatever. 
And uh, she's like, all right, well, you know, this is what I do. And she was talking about how she helps companies find their values and does their mission statement and all that. And she's like, well, you know, do you guys have values? I'm like, fuck yeah, we got values. She's like, well, name them. <laughs> like, uh, 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 I don't know. And so she, uh, she then, I, I don't want to say that she talked me into it. Um, to a certain extent, like she's good at what she does. Like she's a really good salesperson. And uh, I'm like, all right, fine. We'll give this a shot. But once we created those values for the company um, and that mission for the company, it got everybody in the same, you know, go in the same direction on the same line. And it made a huge, huge difference. But especially those values. Because again, now you can see what are we hiring for? What are we firing for? You know, what are we trying to attract when it comes to clients? Like it was a huge, huge turning point for us. Um, and I would say that was another one that we kind of learned just through trial and error. Is <laughs> how important some of that stuff really, really is. And the bigger we've gotten, the more important I've come to realize like how important it is to share that vision again and again and again. Because people don't want just a task. They don't want to be, you know, just a, a cog in the wheel, if you will. They want to be the wheel. And then they want to understand like the impact that they're making. And that whole process really opened up my eyes. Is like, all right, yeah, that's how important it is to make sure they understand the greater good of what we're really trying to go after. Not just simply that they're producing something that, you know, in, in their mind looks pretty. Like, what was the results of it? And what does that really look like? And what can we change and do and you know, do different next time? Yeah, and I think if you are intentional about what you're doing, what your actions are, being able to put that stuff out in the, into the universe is huge because once you once you know what you're working towards, it's it's going to get closer to you and you're going to achieve it if if you have clear goals, if you're intentional about those goals and make it something that you can measure, right? Like we've talked about this before, you know, setting goals, you you kind of want this pie in the sky like great, great big goal. But if you can't measure the steps that you need to take to get there, it means nothing. Yep. Completely agree. I know for us, uh, a couple of years ago, we started a process. It's called traction. And so we team up with a local company to take our company through this whole process. Um, so it's traction and uh, the acronym is EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. And so one of the very first things you do is you paint a five-year picture, a three-year picture, and a one-year picture to make sure everybody is aligned and knows exactly where we're going. And I was saying the coolest thing about that um, as we go through it is we allowed the, the team to talk before I ever gave any insights. Because up until that point in time, goal-wise and direction-wise is very much just me, you know, passing it down to everybody. Well, going through the whole traction process, it was cool. Like what they were coming up with gives it all pretty much aligned with exactly where I wanted to go, what exactly I wanted to do. And there was a couple of things that popped up. I'm like, eh, I don't really know about that side of it. Uh, but they would explain it. Like, oh, never thought about it that way. Like, that makes sense. Let's go that route. Um, so that was really cool to kind of get everybody aligned through that whole vision. So it wasn't just me passing it down. It's like everybody owns it. And again, now that everybody owns it, it's that much easier to be able to move forward and really always be in reach or trying to reach and attain um, that type of vision. So as you're as you're kind of going through these processes and you're you're being intentional about these goals, is there any time where there's kind of some conflict that goes into that? Maybe one person wants to go after a certain type of client, but maybe that's not in the best interest of the company. How do you kind of resolve conflict like that? Um, so yeah, from time to time, there is some of that conflict. Um, sometimes honestly it takes care of itself. 
Uh, we had one issue that popped up that you know, we had an employee that always questioned, I should say always, but quite a bit, question some of the vision and direction and what we're doing and why we're doing and all that. It wasn't an issue of the vision. It was an issue of him being the right fit. And he wasn't for the company. And so you just have to make a change. And sometimes when you get that type of pushback or people that aren't aligned with it, it's just not a good fit. And it's not against them. It's not against the company. It's just, a, you know, we're not for everybody. And then individually, you know, people aren't for everybody else, if you will. Um, so that's a lot of times how we kind of address it. So there's always going to be like some disagreements. But if we notice a big pattern taking place, and it's happened a couple of times now I'm thinking about it. And then again, it comes down to that individual and should they really be in that seat that we have for them in the company or should it be somebody different? And generally speaking, it needs to be somebody different. Now, if they want to like challenge it um, or an aspect of it or ask questions, get deeper, like fair game. Absolutely. But if you're not able to buy into it and we'll, where we're going and what everybody else has already bought into, it's just not going to work, which is fine. So is it is it something where as long as you can kind of back your shit up, if you will, like, hey, I'm I'm coming at this from this angle. Here are my three reasons why. And just having those really open, difficult conversations. Do you feel like that brings the team closer once they're able to kind of air out their shit? Yeah, definitely. And it's being able to have a culture that it's welcoming for that as well. So a lot of times uh, people might make a comment like, oh, what about this? And without any explanation, without any reasoning, without any why, like that's don't know. Like that doesn't make any sense. But if they can kind of, you know, go to bat for their idea, um, they can you know, have a really good influence on changing our minds, changing the direction and all that. So I think it, most of the people on the team are very open to any type of feedback or challenges, if you will. Um, I had a good conversation actually with a guy today and was talking about what's you know, kind of happening now. And overall, like for me, if I'm comfortable, like things don't work. <laughs> like if I'm comfortable, like I end up breaking <laughs> shit or doing something. I don't know. Like I like that challenge. I like always having to shift and change. And so a lot of times I'm very open to that change. I know a lot of people are not comfortable with change. Um, but I've also come to realize if you're able to really kind of explain yourself and explain the details and here's the reason why people are very much more open to it than to simply point blank. This is what we're doing. We're going like, I don't want any feedback. We're going with it. Um, so we've had some pretty good success of having open communication and allowing that communication to take place. And I'm sure there's times like it's very uncomfortable for some people. Um, you know, sometimes for me included, but I'm also very outcome focused. And so if it takes a while for us to be uncomfortable in order to get to that outcome that we're going after. Perfect. And it's well worth it. I know, I know this pandemic has been hitting everybody hard, everybody, um, no matter what line of work you're in, no matter what job you have, you talked about being uncomfortable. I, I know you're uncomfortable during this entire pandemic, but I've also noticed that you are taking the initiative to help bring more people together and and creating situations that wouldn't be happening otherwise. I I know you're a good networker and you've done really good jobs of of building networks and building a networking group and and all this. But this uh this new group that you've built, you're able to bring in speakers that people would not be able to hear otherwise. You're able to create this platform, this open forum for people to get together on a weekly basis and just hang out for, for an hour or two. What went into that 
process and why was that something that was important for you to do? So when shit really hit the fan, I was trying to figure out what the fuck to do. Like I had no idea. So I threw a little bit of a pity party for myself, if you will. And then uh, got on uh, Congressman uh, Fortenberry's his town hall call that he had like you know, right away. And I'm on this call and they have people that had just opened up retail shops, bakeries, um, restaurants. One of them was a, uh, a bed and breakfast. And when this pandemic hit, like they were shut down. So their revenue went to zero. Like we still had revenue. We took a hell of a hit, but we still had revenue. You know, we can still like have our doors open. It might be virtual, you know, workplace, but not our doors can still be open. Well, these people didn't have a choice. And so when I was on that call and realized, I'm like, I can only feel so sorry for myself for so long. And, you know, I don't have a sob story, if you will. Right. But I still knew that I had to figure out some answers. And so me and a good friend of mine, Eric Sullivan, they were trying to figure out, like, together, like, all right, you know, we know we're facing this. We know everybody else is facing this. Like, let's just go through our networks and bring a bunch of people together. So we've talked about doing kind of a small business meetup. We ended up calling it the Overcoming the Coronavirus together. And uh, so the first call we had about, I think we had about 35 people or so on business owners. And it was very much like a give and an ask. He's like, hey, you know, here's some things that I've seen in the past when I've ran into issues. This is what we did. And so here's my give. Here's some insights. Here's some things I think you can take and really run with. Other people had an ask. He's like, hey, you know, I haven't faced this before or I'm looking at this type of situation and what would you do? And so we just kind of played pitch and catch. Like, hey, here's some opportunities for you. Here's some things you can really kind of do. Um, and then we made that pact that, hey, you know what, let's just do this every Friday morning, 11 a.m. Central for the foreseeable future. Um, just kind of bring people together. So we went through our networks. Uh, and both Eric and I have been blessed to have a pretty good network locally as well as nationally. So we brought in a gal that's a fear coach. that uh, She's been on Oprah numerous times. She won an Emmy uh, for a show that she hosted. I think it was 10 years ago at this point in time. Um, all around fear. So long story short, on, and she has an amazing, amazing story. Uh, long story short with her is that she saw her dad kill her mom and then kill himself when she was like 15. Holy and shit. so she lived in, yeah, it was insane. Insane. And she goes into detail on the story too. And uh, so she saw, so she lived in fear for like almost 20 years. Alcoholic addicted to drugs, lived on the street, like all kinds of tried suicide. I think she's had three or four different times. She just allowed fear to encompass her. And then eventually she got enough training and coaching and therapy and all that. Like she understood what was going on. So now she's a fear coach and she helps people in uncertain times get clarity and certainty. So she was one of the first people we brought on an amazing, amazing woman um, kind of led us through a whole process. Is it through Eric's network? Is it he knows the performance coach that kept Metallica together? So there's a documentary on Netflix that dropped seven, eight years ago. And it was following Metallica around when they were making their album back then. And they were almost split up. Well, then they brought in this guy named Phil Tao. And he's the one that they credit for keeping the band together. He's also the guy that worked with Dick Vermeil with the St. Louis Rams back in the day before they moved to L.A. area. Um, and help them, and Dick Vermeil would be the first one to say it, help them kind of overcome that hump and win the Super Bowl. And so, like, he came on a call, which was amazing. Then we have, like, Boyd Ober. He's an amazing leader here locally, you know, in the Lincoln area, that he helped lead a call. Uh, we're having one next week that she was the first female, how, how was it, first 
female to ever get to the rank of admiral, I believe, in the Navy. Like, she's going to be on the call. And so it's just one of those things is that you kind of put it out, you know, you put it out in the universe, and these connections start happening. Um, so we'll have anywhere between 30 to 50 people. Actually, one of the people we had on that she is a lobbyist in D.C. and literally helped write the bill of the America Cares Act and get all this going and the paycheck protection program going and all that. So she had some amazing, amazing insights. Um, and it was just kind of through networking. So we're doing it. It's a free thing. People meet up on a weekly basis, some really good and interesting conversations. Um, a ton of time and people just kind of thanking us. But again, we did it because we were looking for answers. We didn't know what the hell to do. So let's talk to some other smart people that might know what the hell to do. And let's really kind of figure this all out together. You know, that rising tide floats all boats. Um, and so Eric and I have talked about it and we know like this isn't going to last forever. This group that is, is it will continue to do it as long as we can continue to bring value and there's enough people that want to be able to, uh, you know, pop on with us. We know when things go back to quote unquote normal, that they might not be able to do every single week on Fridays in the war. That's fine. But if we can help be that bandaid for you know, a couple of months or whatever that time frame is, like it's, it, it, it really has, has been a pretty amazing, cool experience. That's awesome, man. I, I jumped on one call and it, it was just really cool to see those people in the same, get that amount of people in the same room, so to speak, no other distractions for an hour and a half, two hours and just be together. Like have that moment, have those moments together. That's something that I've really appreciated about you, you know, working with you and, and even staying friends afterward, after we were done working together just how much you value those relationships. You've always made it a point to find other people who have done it, seen it, lived it, and now they're talking about it. So now you're able to get some insight from them and to kind of be a, be a sponge of their knowledge and be able to soak up some of the lessons that they've learned. Why is it so important to you to seek those people out, seek those mentor relationships out? Uh, so it's interesting, Steve Jobs back, I don't know, it was mid-2000s, uh, did a commencement speech at Stanford, and he was talking about it. And at times, as you're going through life, you have a hard time necessarily um, realizing exactly how you got to where you're at. But when you look backwards, it's easy to connect those dots. So at the time, uh, especially early in my career, I would have a couple mentors. So I went in to quit my job. So when I the job I worked for in college, he made me a job offer. Um, and he actually p offered to pay for my grad school as well. If I wanted to stick around and, you know, work for his company for, I don't know, five years or whatever that number was. And, uh, I remember I told him like, nah, like, I think I'm going to do this video production thing. I, you know, eventually I'll quit. And he made the comment. was like, Hey, look, man, like you've been loyal to me. You worked for me the last couple of years. And he's like, if you want to try to do your own thing, like I fully support you. Like if you want to work your thing during the day and then come work our thing at night, have at it. He's like, just don't plan on like, you know, work in the middle of the night at three o'clock in the morning on my stuff and call me in the middle of the night with questions, <laughs> but you know, do what you need to be able to do. And the cool thing is, is that Marcus too, that uh, he was my boss at the time that he would literally open up the books to me. It's like, all right, man, like I'm paying you $10 an hour. I'm charging you out at 90 bucks an hour. Here's the reason why. I'm not just grossing $80 an hour off of you. I got to pay for insurance. I got to pay for this building. I got to pay for this computer. I got to pay for yada, yada, yada. Uh, but he showed me his books. He's like, here's the margins and here's you know, all the cost to go into it. 
And so it really allowed us to kind of break it down, which was cool. Um, and then fast forward like a couple years later is uh, I was friends with this gal that she introduced me to her husband and he is a body shop guy, he owns a body shop here in Lincoln and met up with him. She's like, yeah, you should talk to, you should talk to my husband and, you know, being young and naive. I'm like, all right, he seems like a nice guy, but he's a body shop guy. Like what's going to teach a marketing guy like me? Uh, well, he taught me a shit ton <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> um, so I should chat with him today. Uh, still a good friend. But it was one of those things that I didn't realize it initially until I started looking back how important those mentors and how important those connections really were and how I literally took what they learned in decades and they, really, they were able to teach it to me in hours or days. And at times, some of their lessons is I would still make the mistake trying to teach me. But when I made that mistake, I was like 23 or 24. And they made the mistake. They were like 35 or 40. And so I was able to speed up that whole process just that much more. And so when I was able to kind of connect the dots, then I realized how important that was, not just for me, but for my employees and stuff like that as well, to make sure they can have that mentor, that insight, um, and to a certain extent, just that sounding board as well, that kind of understands the inner workings and understands the direction they're trying to go and gives some insights on, you know, have you thought about this? What about going this direction? And it's made a huge, huge difference for our company overall. That's awesome. Yeah, just being able to see things from a different perspective really helps kind of bring some clarity to things, especially if your employees have never been in that situation before, but their mentor has. Being able to kind of work through that stuff, that's that's invaluable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that obviously you worked with C. Bowles, mm -hmm. a good friend of mine. I'm on the sales side of it. And it was the same thing with him is I think he's the one that made the comment. So I've known Steve for probably 11, 12 years at this point in time. And, you know, Steve, Steve, he's like, yeah, I'm just an old guy. I'll give you my opinion. So I'm an old guy and you can more or less take it for what it's worth. <laughs> but the, those people have like so much just knowledge that if we can just gain a little bit of that knowledge, it makes a huge, huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, I, I loved working with Steve. I, I need to get we need to get together again after this stuff kinda ends. We we need to have some margaritas on the deck. I think that I think uh Heck yeah. we should we should do that. And this is gonna be in a published podcast, so now we can hold ourselves accountable to that. See? Setting goals that are obtainable that we can measure. Boom. <laughs> We've come full circle. There you go. Speaking of, of being social, I know uh you know this is affecting everybody in different ways, but what are you and your wife doing? And this is kind of going way off. We're not talking about business anymore. We've kind of, we've kind of gone off the business, off the business train. What are you and your wife doing during these times to kind of stay connected or to like do something fun or are you doing stuff with the kids? What, what's kind of going on in the, in the household? See, the cool thing with kids is they just bring a completely different perspective to stuff. And I remember I learned this a couple of years ago that Heather took a girl's trip. I guess it was almost exactly a year ago. It was last April. She took a girl's trip to Colorado. And so it was me home with the kids. And so I had the kids make a list of the things they wanted to do. Well, you ask an adult the things they want to do. You know, it's like, you know, go golfing at this nice resort or, you know, go to Disney or, you know, whatever it may be. Like, it's expensive, big things. From a kid's perspective, all they want to be able to do is, like, play with mom and dad or play with a friend or do a puzzle or read a book or like, you know, basic, basic stuff, but it comes around like connections, if you will. So in this first hit, 
is that we had her daughter Finley, who's eight, that she made a list of the things that she wanted to do. And some of the ideas she had was like, "Hey, I'll create an escape room." So we did that, and like, we'll do a scavenger hunt in the house, and so we did that. Um, so it allowed them to really be kind of creative, which was pretty cool. Um, the one thing that you know after the first, it was actually one of the first meetings that we had that Friday morning meetup we talked about. Um, and how everybody's going through their own reality. Everybody's going through this whole thing with their own perspective. Is that um, suddenly was kept on interrupting a meeting that I was in with somebody. But then once I realized, like, she can't see her friends. She can't go to school. She doesn't have the after-school activities. She was supposed to be in volleyball. Um, basically, right now, like, all that stuff got canceled. Softball this summer. Like, who knows what's going to go on. Like, that's her reality. That's what she's living in. And that's one of those things that we can't forget. So me and my wife got in a fight, I don't know, a month ago, maybe at this point. Like, you know, every day feels like a Tuesday. If you <laughs> right? Yeah. Who knows exactly what it was. Uh, but I was stressed out about work and, you know, revenue and just different shit. And she's like, hey, look. I was like, I understand you're stressed. But at the end of the day, she's like, I'm a nurse. She works at a surgery center. And she's like, we need to get money. She's like, I can go work any place. But she's like, I'm also stressed about shit because with what she does, being a nurse, like she's on the front line. She'd be catching COVID shit, bringing it back home, um, and you know, affecting everybody. So that was her perspective. And which, once she vocalized, I'm like, holy shit! Like, you're right. Again, my stuff kind of pales in comparison to, you know, at times life and death with what we're really kind of dealing with. So I think once we kind of got a better understanding with that, that helped out really quite a bit. Like I said, allowing the kids to know have a say in some of this and have fun that's made a pretty big difference um we've got a lot more consistent on us watching like shows together at night um there'd be times when she would watch her shows and i'd be working or watch my shows or whatever um but now we just understand like how important it is for kind of that bonding time um and this is this might sound i don't know how it sounds actually uh, but a lot of times like she has her spot on the couch i have my spot in a chair if you yep. will and lately, it's like, no, let's actually like sit together you know, on a couch, um, you know, just kind of like hang out and be close to each other and stuff like that. And that just makes a hell of a difference, too. So it's been pretty cool to see it. It really does make a difference. We're, Sarah and I are the same way. We have we have our couch. It's a sectional couch. I don't know how, but apparently I pulled the the long straw and got the part of the sectional that the long part is. So it's like my own little like cocoon area my own little like bed and she has uh she has the more horizontal part and so she she'll sit on the other side but then when when we actually do sit together like in the middle of the couch just a different feeling like hey we're we're in the same spot together now and it means a lot more to her too to just be able to sit there put my arm around her rub her shoulders it's just a whole nother dimension it's just a, a good thing to do every once in a while or all the time. Probably all the time. Yeah, but we, probably all the time. But that's the thing. It forces you to be present with that person. So if I'm in my chair, she's in the couch, it's easy for me to pull up my phone, scroll through shit for a while, whatever it may be. But if we're there together, like you don't feel like you should or you feel guilty, I should say, right. if you pull out your phone. So it just makes you be that much more present. And that's one of those things I've struggled with for a long time is being present in conversation and being present. So even like leading into this, I'd be on Zoom meetings where I'd have the Zoom, you know, on my screen as, you know, maybe quarter of my screen. I have my email over here and Slack over there and I'd be multitasking and all that shit. 
well now, and I'm doing the same thing right now, you know, because we're chatting all, on, on Skype, is that I have Skype full screen. And so that way I can be present. I'm not distracted. I shut off all notifications. I don't see emails come across. I don't see Facebook notifications come across. Same thing, yeah, now. Same thing with, uh, with Zoom. Is that most of the time I try to get it just full screen. So that way I'm fully present for them in that moment. And it's, it's taken me a long time to, to learn that and to do it. And I hope it's one of those habits that kind of carries over. Because um, some of the most intriguing people I know are the ones that are just amazing at being completely in the moment with you, regardless if there's a shit ton of traffic or other distractions or whatever. But those are the ones I've really respected and trying my best to, to do the same. And it's not easy, but no. I'm trying my best. I, I think we fall into this trap that like, oh, all of our work is on the computer. So now we can have five different desktops open and do five things at the same time. I'm guilty mm-hmm. of that too. Like I'll be in a meeting like this um, during work sometimes and I'll have my email open and whatever. And yeah, it's just, you have to train your brain to not do that because you're going to, you're going to have some, such a better result if you are just focused in on the one task at hand. Yep. And that's the thing too, is that, you know, if you're focusing on, like, I'm just going to use this as an analogy, you know, again, we're on Skype, it's full screen. I don't see anything else. It's not like I'm missing out on anything, you know, either maybe I'll get a couple of emails, maybe I'll get a notification. There's nothing that I would get unless my wife runs downstairs screaming and yelling about something, you know, like somebody breaking in or something like that. There's nothing that's coming in right now. Or if we're doing this at three o'clock in the afternoon, that is necessarily that important. They can't wait until this conversation is done in 30 minutes and 60 minutes and however long that is. Uh, there's a guy that I'm kind of friends with here locally that he never, and he's a really, really successful business guy, never answers his phone. Never. But he put it really well. It's like, hey, look, if I'm answering my phone, texting you back or you know, answering your phone call, you know, that means I'm not with that person that I'm supposed to be with right now. And he's like, don't leave a message. You know, I'll get back to them later tonight or whenever that timetable is to reply back to that text. But he's like, I want to be there for that person and I expect them to do the same thing for me. And I really resonate with that. It's really solid. Yeah. Why trick your brain into trying to do three things at once? We cannot do that. Exactly. Especially men. If women understood how simple our minds were, things would be so much easier. So much easier. I think Sarah's starting to understand. Well, she's always understood how my mind works, but she understands my reward system. I think a little bit better (laughs) now. Like the other day, she was like, oh, I've been craving a cookie. You should make cookies. Well, fuck yeah, I'll make cookies. Like, I want a cookie too. That sounds amazing. <laughs> like, she just she just drops those hints. Like, hey, you should you should make cookies. Okay, yeah. Well, let's do that then. <laughs> like, yep, deal. At least they're paying attention to those kids. Or sometimes, like Heather will say something. I'm like, yeah, 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 that sounds good. And they're like, not even think twice about it. And later on, she's like, well, I gave you hints. I told you to do this. I'm like, oh shit, yeah, you did. Oh. That happens all the time. It's the same thing uh, earlier when I was thinking about what I had for dinner last night. It's the same kind of thing. Like Sarah will be like, oh, well, I told you about this a week ago. Uh, yeah, you probably did. I just, I, I promise I w- was paying attention to you. I just, it's, it's gone. Like I, my brain can only fit so many things. That was not one of them. <laughs> Heather and I are notorious for that. Because like I'll say something to her, she'll say something to me, and neither one of us will 
No, did that happen? Did you say that? Oh yeah, maybe you did. (laughs) It's funny. It's I'm glad Sarah has a lot of patience to deal with my bullshit. If she didn't have a good amount of patience, then she's she's also a middle school teacher, so I feel like she was prepared. She's been praying preparing her whole life to put up with me but it, it, it's good definitely true thank god for women that settle you know? <laughs> <laughs> one thing i learned earlier in life is in every relationship there is a reacher and there's a settler and 90 percent of the time women settle for us oh. <laughs> we just happen to be the reachers do you ever, do you ever take a step back and think about why <laughs> why did she choose me <laughs> <laughs> I think about that all the time. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, we talk about that. Like just being young and dumb because she was 23 when we got married. No, 24 when we got married. 23 we got engaged. And at that point in time, like we had life figured out. We were fine. I was. I'm three years older than her, but like we were fine. But like looking back on how young that was, like even when she, we started dating, she was 22. Like holy shit! Like we don't realize how young and dumb we were. And we talk about that a lot. Like that's kind of what got us in love together or <laughs> young and dumb. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, that means that you have a lot more time to uh, figure out the other stuff, like have those, you know, communication resolutions, if you will, and um, kind of figure out how each other tick. And even as you're growing older, I'm sure some of your interests have changed. Some of uh, your priorities have changed, but you're able to, to take that journey together and to, to kind of grow into the people who you are now together. And that that's probably a really cool experience that a lot of people don't get to have. It's a whole nother level of trust, if you will. And knowing you can say some stupid, stupid shit and they might get pissed. But at the end of the day, like each other has, you know, each one of us has each other's back, if you will. And knowing like you are together. My mom asked us after our first year of marriage, like what's the biggest thing what's the biggest difference um between being married for a year versus just dating and stuff and both heather and i like we're pretty open and honest with each other for like there's a whole nother level of open and honesty because <laughs> that's one of those things <laughs> hey i know we're probably not gonna divorce you're probably not gonna leave me so let me tell you exactly what i'm thinking right now <laughs> we've learned to balance that out a little bit over the years uh, we're still pretty open and honest but Maybe not the, the brutal side of it as much as we were originally. It's probably good. There's no uh, mic drop uh, argument mm-hmm. enders going on. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, we've been talking for a while. We've talked about a few things so far, <laughs> just a few. Uh, we've <laughs> talked about kind of your, your business and um, your entrepreneurial spirit and kind of your background there. We've talked about some of the lessons that you've learned in owning a business and growing a business. We've talked about your relationships with your wife and your kids and kind of how that helps put things in perspective. Is there anything else that we should talk about on this episode or uh, maybe a teaser for the for the next episode that's on your mind? Uh, you know, the only thing that popped up, my oldest daughter, so she's 20 now, she'll be 21 here in October, which is fucking insane. Um, absolutely crazy. We're talking about perspective. And so when I started the company, is that my monthly not between it was a uh, rent i didn't have a car payment then daycare whatever insurance that type of stuff was like 1200 bucks and i remember stressing over the 1200 bucks um and me and her mom split up when she was two ish i would say and so i remember like she would come home from daycare i'd pick up from daycare 
And like, I would have a hell of a day. You know, either sales didn't come in or project didn't go according to plan. Cause at that point in time, it was largely just me. Maybe some additional contract help, but largely just me. But she didn't care. All she gave us shit about it was like dad's home. You know, now we can play. Now we can do this. Now we can do that. But it gives you that whole different perspective and be able to see life through somebody else's eyes, especially like a kid's eyes. This dude, like, just unbelievable and humbling in so many different ways. And also, since I had her, uh, since I was pretty young, like, it forced me to grow up really, really fast. Like, I don't think I was really that much of an immature type of person, but it just made me, to, made me it forced me to put, like, you know, what's truly important at the forefront. Yeah. Um, so I would say that's kind of the biggest thing is being able to try to find perspective um, through other people and understand other people's perspectives. So I think that just helps you grow and helps you become that much more well-rounded overall. Oh, for sure. And it, it's that's going to help you in every facet of your life. It's going to help you resolve issues at work. It's going to help you resolve issues in your personal relationships with friends or significant others or your own kids. Understanding what's important to that other person and seeing that from their eyes that's that's a huge skill that I, I think more people need to develop and spend time thinking about and, and working on. And there are ways that you can do that. Yep, and there absolutely is. There absolutely positively is. So like I said, it's always, it's always refreshing sometimes to be able to take a step back and you know, understand the bigger picture. Awesome, man. Well, Steve, thanks again for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. I know you got a lot going on, but thanks for taking the time, and I know we'll chat again soon. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Take care of yourself. All right, you too.